Welcome to the Vanity Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, George Plaster of Nashville Sports Radio. This episode is sponsored by the Well Coffee House, which is a Nashville area coffee house that provides fresh roasted coffee along with its house-made pastries, breakfast, and lunch offerings. There are four locations to serve you in the Nashville area. Those are in Brentwood, Green Hills, downtown in Bellevue. You can get more information at wellcoffeehouse.org. The Well Coffee House, where coffee changes lives. We thank our co-presenting sponsor, Wellspire, Nashville's Learning and Development Center, which is located in the Gulch. Our news is presented by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, call Taylor or Russell at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Well, the basketball program still waiting on an admissions answer on Romello White. From what we understand, Romello White, of course, the highly regarded transfer from Arizona State who, it appears, would like to attend Vanderbilt. Our guest line is brought to you by Bolin Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. Had no clue how comfortable sheets were until I got Bolin Branch sheets. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women, treated and paid fairly. Try them for a month. You can return them for free, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BolinBranch.com. That's spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vandy and get $50 off your first set of sheets. George Plaster joins me. George, of course, a longtime Nashville sports personality now with Nashville Sports Radio. George, thank you for joining us today. How have you been? Chris, uh, doing well. And you want me to give you the real answer? <laughs> well, why not? <laughs> you know, I think I'm like uh, I think I'm like everybody else. Um, you have days where um, you try to act like everything's fine and you hear all the slogans about we're all in this together and stand tough and all that. But, you know, we're now almost nine weeks into this. And the nine weeks feels like about, you know, three years. And if we went to a psychiatrist right now, I think they would basically say that we're all headed toward the loony bin. Um, I think we're at a point in all this where especially in our country, I think we need some good news and we need some good news soon. And I'm not sure I know what that means. Um, but, you know, we're, we're going through a period here where we're doing all these things in the name of social distancing. And, you know, I don't know if any of us really know whether we're any better off today than we were however many weeks ago. Um, you know, progress at best is slow in this deal, and that's very frustrating. I keep going back to this. The original initiative for all this was to flatten the curve to keep for overwhelm- from overwhelming the hospitals. So we haven't done that. I mean, or I guess we have done it. In other words, we have accomplished the goal. So to me, unless something's changed, I don't know. Seems to me like you have a case for opening things up with the unemployment rate, with the way it is, those sorts of things. You got to be careful about it, but I think by now we're used to being careful. Yeah, I think you've uh, I think you've raised the other issue, and that is that people, 
in a lot of cases are not able to sit around and, you know, smell the daffodils uh, as they go work on their yards. And let me say this, my yard right now looks as good as it has ever looked. And uh, I'm tired of raking leaves and picking up sticks. I'm ready to get on to something else. But, you know, a lot of people right now are really having to worry about economic issues that have been handed to them through no fault of their own. And I think that's one of the areas where there's a stress level going on right now. You can put all these slogans out here you want, stay positive, we're all in this together. You know, but we're not all in this together when it comes to writing the check. And I think that's one of the issues right now that's going on in our country is so many people don't know, you know, how they're going to pay their June bills. And, uh, and I think that's causing a lot of stress. Yeah, I do too. And I think this is a good time for sports in the sense that we all need something to sort of take our mind off all these things. And with that, this seems to be the perfect cure. Uh, this podcast? Well, no, I meant sports, but may, maybe us, maybe this too. I mean, you can always aim high, right? <laughs> oh, man, you have to really aim high. Well, let's give it a shot today. You talk let's about people needing good news. I think, boy, I know a fan base that needs some good news. I'm thinking back to September of 2018 when David Williams stepped down, and I'd just been thinking for a while – because I've been saying this for two years, David wasn't getting anything done. Everybody knew it. People were frustrated. The stuff comes out in the Tennessean where frustrations inside that place boiled over. And I remember when David stepped down in September of 2018, I'm thinking, okay, game on now. This is the moment that everybody's been waiting for. There were several athletic directors at Power 5 schools that were competent, that were interested Vanderbilt basically chose to pursue very few of those options and ended up with Malcolm Turner. We know what happened next. So I sit back and think, boy, you rewind to September of 2018. And I remember saying at the time, they've got to get this right. Well, they didn't. Not only have athletics not really gone anywhere at Vanderbilt, other than they won another national title in baseball, but Tim Corbin's thing is kind of self-sustaining. But football's gone backwards. Basketball is, depending on your point of view, uh, either sort of stuck in neutral or getting a little bit better but not significantly better. Maybe that changes over time. But the fundraising goals that were out there just sort of, I'm not going to say went away, but Vanderbilt won't comment on anything. This is just an environment where – this fan base needs hope, and now you have a pandemic on top of it. Yeah, right now is not a great time um, as a Vanderbilt fan because you initially had the thought that you'll be competing to defend the national championship, and at least in 2020, that's not going to happen. Um, they will continue to be the defending national champion. Um, you know, it'll be the longest reign of being a national champion in a while. Uh, but, you know, for the purposes of 2020, there's not a lot to get excited about right now. Um, Watson Brown went into a lengthy 
discussion about this on the air that maybe this is a good time if Candace is going to be the next athletic director and she's got to go on the assumption that she is, then this would be a really good time to get into some one-on-one kind of meetings by phone, Zoom, Skype, whatever, with board of trust members and find out, you know, what they're thinking, let them know what she's thinking, let them know the issues that she deals with, and see if there's some common ground that can be established that's better than what it is right now. Well, people who support candidates' candidacy say, well, she may be able to get some things done at Vanderbilt that other athletic directors can't. Well, I think there's three things right in front of her right now. One of them is the locker room project, which Vanderbilt has been trying to get done for literally 10 years. And still nothing has been done. All we know, I know that the original price tag of that was six to seven million. And the cost of that, when she had her second press conference with us, the only thing that she said that was she's very specific on was when she was asked the cost of that locker room project, she said it is under five million dollars. So there is a reduced price tag on that, which pandemic and all I get it, that has made some things difficult. But that is one thing I, I think that is for all the needs that Vanderbilt has, if she can't get a locker room done, uh, boy, you have to wonder how much can get done. So there's that's one thing in front of her that's on her plate. Number two, and this is really two and three, I think the basketball roster, if it has any shot to be competitive next year and avoid that Wednesday night game in the SEC tournament, they've got to get Romello White on the roster. As of our understanding is of this weekend, he still had not been admitted to Vanderbilt. I don't know how much of that is his fault. I don't know how much of that is Vanderbilt's fault. I don't know how much of that is he has questionable academic credentials, although I would think if you can graduate from a Pac-12 school, uh, that would count for something. So there's that. There's also the McBride kid who transferred for Kansas, still not sure if he's been admitted yet. So to me, I look at her candidacy and I say, well, if it rests on she can get things done that maybe other people can't, that's maybe three things right in front of her that they probably really need as an AD right now. Well, I'm with you on all three of those. Um, You know, I noticed that you didn't bring up stadium and, you know, I'll go ahead and say it. I think the, uh, I think in the climate that we're in and that we're going to be in for the next couple of years, that Andy is probably going to get a free pass. And I suspect that what's there now is what, the fan base and the coaching staff is going to be stuck with. And that is an outdated antiquated football stadium. But now they've kind of gotten, you know, a built-in free pass through the pandemic. So now you have to go looking at secondary goals and secondary hopes. And it seems like the ones you put out there are reasonable, even in a time where none of us know, you know, where money's coming from, it's going to be very difficult for all schools in general. Um, One other thing that's kind of struck me is that 
in the coaching world, coaches, you know, on the division one football level and the, the D one basketball level have had it really good in the salary world. But what is going to change is those who within the last year or two have renegotiated contracts are going to come out of this really good. And those who, you know, just through timing, uh, luck, whatever, are not in that situation, eventually they're going to find out it's a changing marketplace and some of the dollars that have been thrown out there aren't going to be there anymore. Well, I keep thinking about Danny Manning. He's getting paid $15 million to work. That's just such an odd thing in this time. Although I hear that Wake is going to challenge that, so I imagine that's headed to court. Those things never go particularly well. But it it is weird to think about that in the midst of this. But I'm with you. I do think that the salaries that some of these guys get paid are going to be harder to justify for the next couple of years, not just in terms of what we're dealing with now, but the setback that this is going to cause for the next few years. I do wonder what happens with contracts. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think probably some coaches who were doing really well would uh, probably do themselves some good to go ahead and self-impose some pay cuts. You're seeing as you read, you know, certain schools, Wisconsin being the most recent to say, hey, you know, we're going to have to cut. And, um, you know, I think that's going to become the norm. Well, the one that I wonder about is Derek Mason, because from what I was told, it was going to cost about $15 million a year ago to get rid of him. My understanding is that that amount gets cut in half, I think, after this year or so. Again, I'm not saying that with 100% certainty, but I have talked to someone who was pretty much on the inside of those things. Of course, Fandible is a private school. It is not going to ever formally comment or release documents on those things. But this person's thought was it was going to be about $7 million to let Derek go after this year. That's really a rock and a hard place if that's what they need to do. Because on one hand, $7 million for a guy not to coach, uh, boy, the the optics of that may not be great at times, uh, certainly on that campus for sure. But if the program continues to decline, do you see what happens with attendance? At some point, they've got to build that back and make that financially feasible. They may not have much choice than to pay the money because the damage might be worse to keep him on. I mean, that's a lot of ifs. And as you are fond of saying, Derek has pulled a rabbit out of a hat many times before, but that's kind of the next big thing I'm looking at is what do they do if they have another two, three-win season this fall, which is where I think they are probably headed I think coaches have more security today because of this, because of the pandemic than they've had in a long time. If you look on the division one college basketball level, yeah, there were coaching changes. You mentioned one of them at Wake Forest, but there weren't anywhere near the number of coaching changes that there have been in normal years. And that's because schools looked around and said, We really aren't in a position to bring candidates in here uh, to learn more about them. And secondly, we really don't have the money for the huge buyouts. So I think in return, perhaps, for less money, 
um, the coaches have probably got a little more security than they've had. Yeah, there are not a whole lot of vacancies. I'm looking this up right now. Of course, you had Steve Forbes going to Wake to take that job. I am looking at other Power 5 schools, and boy, there just aren't a lot. Most of these are on the lower level or, or the lowest level like the SWAC. Uh, Evansville had a coaching change, although I think that's been – in the works for a while because Walter McCarty had some off-court issues. Of course, Bryce Drew went to Grand Canyon. Illinois-Chicago had a vacancy. Um, they just I'm, I'm looking at these, and boy, you have to really strain to find programs of significance. Uh, I, was that the They're only? They're not a bunch of them. I, I was going to say, I think that might be the only Power 5 job that opened. These are all really mid-majors or worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. And I wonder if, like you said, with the economics, how that affects things, or if there's a buildup that gets unleashed with the higher-than-normal coaching turnover situation across the board next year. I tend to think it'll be the first. Yeah, I do, too. Um you know, one of the more sobering things that's come out in the last few days, and and I'll say this, I've changed my mind on certain things, certain sports, and if and when they're going to come back. The NBA commissioner, Adam Silver, put it out there in that meeting with the players over the weekend uh, when he said, you know, we're not guaranteed to have fans in 2021, uh, much less a potential NBA playoff season. I guess I've kind of changed my mind a little bit, Chris. The more I look, the less confident I am that the NBA and the NHL are going to get their, you know, get their playoff seasons in. I do think Major League Baseball is going to play, and I think by July 1, we're probably going to have what I so desperately need, which is Braves baseball. Uh, the indoor sports, I think, are in a lot more trouble than the outdoor sports are. I mean, you look at the NBA opened up, you know, allowed some um, some of the organizations to open up. And we got a little bit of an idea of exactly the level of progress when Kevin Love walks into the Cleveland Cavalier training facility. He's handed a ball that basically says you're the only person that gets to deal with this basketball. No other player can touch this. And you have an assistant coach who's assigned while you're shooting. And that person is wearing gloves and a mask. You know, I kind of sat there and said to myself, if on or about May the 10th, this is the level of progress we've made. How in the world are we going to have NBA playoffs? And I, I've just sort of come to the conclusion that a lot of this stuff isn't going to happen. What sports should have done is set some drop-dead dates a long time ago and said if this and this and this doesn't happen uh, by such and such a date, then we're not going to play the playoffs or whatever. And what I mean by that, and you work at that by saying, okay, what's the latest we can start the playoffs in the NHL and the NBA? And if that's June the 15th or whatever, 
then you have to have a certain amount of time for everybody to get ready again. And you work backwards from there. And then you need a transition from the time you wave the green flag to start that process of getting everybody ready. It just seems like the NH or excuse me, the NHL and the NBA could have done that long ago and said, well, if we're not ready to start moving by such and such a date, then it's off. And that might've saved us all the, the trouble of these discussions. I feel bad for the players a little bit in this because they're, you know, they're trying to stay, um, you know, working out in some form or fashion. And yet they really don't know what this is leading up to. Are they working out just to sort of stay in shape? Are they working out to really play sometime this summer? I don't think any of them know. And upon further review, you're probably right that a drop dead date would have helped everybody. Um, But, you know, this is new stuff. We haven't been down this road in our lifetime before. So, George, our connection went bad for a moment, so I apologize. No, I, no problem. I want to shift to Vanderbilt for a minute because – I want to go back to where I started in talking about how this was going to be a key time and that hire was so important and they couldn't afford to get it wrong, and and they did. And now really nothing has changed for the better within Vanderbilt Athletics. So now the next thing is the new chancellor. And the things that I keep hearing are he's been very engaged with the coaches, had a source tell me last night that – He's hearing that the chancellor is in on athletics, wants to see it done the way Stanford and Northwestern do. Now, look, I will believe all that when I see it. (laughs) After being bitten many times by that, I'm sure a lot of people in the same boat. But to me, that's the hope now. It's not as much the AD. I think it's the chancellor because I think the stuff with the AD will flow from there. Well, no matter what, a chancellor sets a tone for what is and what isn't going to happen. And we saw that with Zeppos. It wasn't a good tone for athletics. We have no idea what this guy is all about. About all we can do is hope for the best and take the early returns as potentially encouraging signs. But you're absolutely right. Uh, This guy is going to play a big role then what's going to go on here in the next, you know, 12 to 18 months? There's no doubt about it. And as a Vanderbilt fan, you've got to hope that he's different than Joe Wyatt, that he's different than Nick Zeppos, and that he's seen and read enough of this stuff over the last year as he's gone after this job that he realizes that staying the course as it's been isn't going to be good enough. Well, what they need is a leader with some courage who will stand up and say, you know what, this may not be popular in every corner of the university, but these guys are our students too. They deserve your respect. We have a fan base that has spent hundreds of millions of dollars on us. They deserve our respect. And if we're going to do something, we're going to do something well. The last chancellor they had to me 
uh, didn't have a lot of guts. He kind of ran and hid. He wouldn't comment on anything. Some people say that he supported sports in some ways. I think he was put the finger up and see which way the wind is blowing, and, and that's how he made his decisions, and I think that's hard to refute. But in any case, that's what I'm looking for is a chancellor with some courage to lead and say, you know what, we're going to do this because something worth doing is worth doing well. We've got an SEC membership that's got a market value of, I, I would say, you know, somewhere in the nine-figure range, or not the nine-figure range, I'm sorry. Well, I guess it would be right because it's probably half a billion dollars if you could sell it on the open market. So I think that's what they really need. And I think if they have that, then the other things may start to take care of themselves. I'm with you. Uh, I go with the slogan, if you're going to be a great university, you should attempt to be great at everything. And clearly they have not attempted to be great at this. It's mailbag time if you're ready. Let's do it. Today's mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood. Josh can take care of all your insurance needs. Call him today at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or at facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He is my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about it on this podcast. Chi-Town Door says, has George ever considered rallying Vanderbilt's influential and prestigious cadre of sports reporters, both local and national, to exert pressure on the administration to prioritize athletics higher on the school's list of investments? This could take on a broader campaign than what Rex Road and Sparks did in the Nashville markets a few years ago. And he wants to know is if you did that, do you have any thoughts on whether that would be successful? Given that a thought, uh, deafness to what has been going on over the years. Um, in normal circumstances, there's certainly enough, you know, big time journalists across the country with Vanderbilt ties, but in this case. I don't know. Well, I think a lot of people have just given up. And the local media, a lot of times, has got other things to do. The biggest critics, a lot of times, aren't the ones who are their day-to-day covering. And I don't think their critics are, are wrong about the things they say. But they're not the ones that I see at press conferences and things. The, the media that's there on a day-to-day basis, doesn't really push them a whole lot. Well, this has always been a city that uh, it's not been a high-pressure media. Never really has been. Now, it'll have certain moments where the heat gets turned up. But compared to you know New York, Philadelphia, Chicago, uh, the major markets in the country, it, it's never quite been that. And in that respect, Vanderbilt's probably uh, been fortunate that that's been the case. The closest I've ever seen it to getting there was at Candace's second press conference where, I mean, we've been over this. Nothing was really answered. And I think reporters, and they've seen it. I've written about it. Joe Rex wrote and Sparks have written about it. I think people are starting to catch on and, and 
I mean, well, no think about it. They are and call nonsense on things. And that's something that they've really never faced with any degree of regularity in terms of the people that they interface with. I mean, there's always been people on the radio that have criticized him and things, but they're not always people that are over there or involved. I was in the room that night and it took on a very different tone of anything that I had ever seen before. Yeah, you were there. I was not. And uh, I know you felt that way when it was over. Um, who knows? Maybe this chancellor will come in realizing that there's um, a situation that needs to get fixed and it needs to get fixed dramatically. HMHS says the pandemic has created a stoppage in play for many sports. What sports do you think has suffered the most in the past from a work stoppage like a strike? I don't think there's any doubt it's baseball. Baseball went through eight different strikes from 1972 to 2001, and it reached a point where if there had been one more, I think even those of us who were hardcore baseball fans were going to throw up our hands and just say, screw it. There are a lot of people who believe that Cal Ripken's chase in 95 uh, kept things alive. That was the year where baseball almost went to the replacement players. I don't think any other sport really has suffered uh, that kind of work stoppage. Now, the NFL's had a couple, and they did a three-week thing with replacement players that was embarrassing. But you look around 35 years later, um, I don't think there's been all that much suffering in the NFL because of it. I think yeah. it has hurt baseball tremendously yeah the one in 94 that just seemed to and I think I still know people like this that they just never got the passion for baseball back like they had before then I mean for me it probably took oh man really until the last few years that I started feeling and caring for baseball like I did before then I'd never left it but it's hard to feel passionate about something after what happened in 94. For some people, it came back. For some people, it didn't. But I don't think that I've ever seen something affect a sport the way that 94 layoff did. That was some serious stuff, of course. It cost baseball the World Series. It probably also cost Montreal the Expos. If you think back to when that strike happened, the Expos had a six-game lead on the Atlanta Braves and would have completely demolished that whole consecutive division-winning streak that Atlanta had. And that, to me, is what signaled the end of the Expos. And things went on there. There, there are a lot of There are a lot of fans, like you said, who just threw up their hands and said, I've had enough. Uh, I probably should have, but uh, I've spent too many summer nights loving that game to give it up that easy. Did you ever go to a game in Montreal? No. uh Uh-uh. I did. That was was, weird. uh, Yeah, it's a – I mean, Olympic Stadium was a mausoleum. You know, the upper deck looked like a place that you would hide somebody who had been kidnapped. 
because there were never any fans up there. But that year they were really good and they had a chance to win it all. Uh, they just never got the they never got the opportunity to pursue it. I think I'm right that Pedro Martinez was a Montreal Expo at that point. You talking about in '94? Yeah, yeah, that was the team that had him and Larry Walker and Marquise Grissom. Um, gosh, they had some other good players. I, Galarraga, I think, was gone by that point. I think he was an expansion Rocky, was he not? Uh, yeah, I don't know. But uh, that was a that was a really no, good team. No, I think God, no, the the expansion was in '69. No, no, Montreal I mean, I mean, closed. when when the Rockies, because the Rockies came about in '93. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, gosh, I, I've uh, I've lost the point that I was going to get to there. Um, run, oh, Marquise Grissom. Marquise yeah, Grissom, Grissom was on that year team later. Yeah, yeah, and a a year later, caught the fly ball. Uh, that gave the Braves the world title, and as Bob Costas says it, and I love to repeat it, the team of the 90s has its world championship. <laughs> yes, it did. Uh, back to and Expos. then along came the Yankees to say, oh. screw that. Oh, I know. That, and that really sucked the <laughs> life out of everything. But yeah, the Expos, I think that pitching staff was Pedro and maybe Kenny Hill, Jeff Facero, I think Wetland was in the back end of that bullpen. That was just a really great yep. team. They were they were stacked pretty good. Yeah. I remember going up to a game, and my brother and I went up there in the summer of 99, and it was frustrating. First of all, it was ugly. They had that old artificial turf over the concrete or whatever was under there, the stuff that killed Andre Dawson's knees. And I used to try to get a program – from the different ballparks I visited. And I just remember trying to get one up there. I think I finally got one. But in Montreal, they could speak English, but they wouldn't do it out of principle, um, which I sort of understand. But I was also their customer, and I thought that was kind of rude. That, that whole experience just kind of frustrated me. Yeah. The Montreal Expos. It was, it's weird to think about now, but. You know, people have this push for Montreal to get back baseball. I'm like, I don't think you really deserved it then. I mean, I think Charlotte or Nashville or San Antonio or any number of places deserve it before Montreal does. Well, I always laugh. I went on a uh, Montreal radio station during the summer we were trying to save the Predators, and the tone of the interview was pretty negative. You all don't deserve to keep this. And I said, listen. You can have your opinion all you want. You know, you're entitled to your opinion. But I got two words for you. Montreal Expos. Exactly. So don't act like, you know, don't act like you all are pure as snow. You've had your issues as well. The next one from Ann Arbor, when do you think high school sports, including the summer club teams like the AAU, when do you think those tournaments and circuits will return? Well, you would hope maybe that if Major League Baseball, and I think Major League Baseball is going to announce something in the next week or so. If you don't hear an announcement, that means that the Players Union and Major League Baseball have not come to an agreement on salary and and 
you know, how the, the smaller pie gets divvied up. But if they do go ahead and announce, I think it's going to be really interesting to see who follows suit, you know, once one of them's out there saying, yep, we're going. And does the dirty work that things like what he mentioned in that email will start to say, okay, the coast is clear. This feels a little bit like in the movie Jaws, where one person jumps in and for a few minutes, you know, nobody sees a shark. And so everybody else says, hell, it's 85 degrees. Let's go in. (laughs) Right. I think the AAU stuff... I don't know. That might be hard to get back at this point for this summer. Anything, I think the point yeah. that you made earlier was an interesting one about there's the difference between indoor and outdoor. Between that and not just that, but the time frames, like you've got a little longer to deal with high school football and such, but between the fact that they're indoors and the fact that like for basketball, the gate's not going to be well, I guess AAU tournament's going to be different, and those serve a different purpose anyway, but I just keep thinking to you saying that. And the fact that you've got to have these things done ahead of time and reservations and vendors and things like that, I'm guessing a lot of contracts probably got canceled because of the uncertainty around those things. I mean, that may have been probably was what happened with the College World Series. I think that's why the plug on that got pulled so far in advance because you have to have XYZ and an event doesn't want to foot the bill for that if the event's not going to happen because then you're taking a financial bath. I bet that there's some similarities to AAU events. Your answer was a lot better than mine. Oh, I don't know about that. I think we're all guessing, but anyway. Uh, last one, Harley Hog 44 says, well, the NCAA really dropped the hammer on schools named in the basketball cheating scandal. What do you think will happen and when? I do think they're about to drop the hammer on Kansas. Um, I've read a lot of stuff about the Kansas thing. And in fact, uh, this afternoon, which is we tape this would be Monday afternoon. Um, we're going to have a reporter on from the Kansas City Star who covers Kansas University. I think they're in deep, you know what. Uh, And I think part of what is going to get them in really deep trouble is when the NCAA sent out the notice of allegations, you know, Kansas is required to respond. And Kansas's response was none of this is true. And it really pissed off the NCAA, which came storming back at them with a, you know, you can fire all this you want, but we know the truth. Apparently, the truth is that Kansas was using kind of a, a middleman um, from one of these shoe companies. And I've got to read up on the exact names before we do the interview. But suffice it to say, that wasn't going well at all. I think Kansas is in big trouble. I have no idea what's going on on the Sean Miller and Will Wade uh, front, which is, I think, what the caller is probably referring to. But I think for a while, whatever it is that is causing the NCAA not to act on either Sean Miller or LSU, 
I'm going to use Tart's line that they were so mad at Kentucky that they ripped into Cleveland State. I think the the people and the schools that are on their plate right now are going to get drilled. I have no evidence that this is true, but here's the basis for my theory. Okay, LSU and Arizona just kind of said, okay, well, you got what you got. We're going to hang on our coach until you make us get rid of him. Kansas did that, but Kansas also went a step further by bringing in Snoop Dogg and the Money Guns and all the things they did for the Midnight Madness event last fall and just basically rubbed the NCAA's nose in it. Now, maybe the NCAA had more evidence. I don't know. It's hard to think that you could have more evidence than what they have on Will Wade. But I wonder if that's not the straw that broke the camel's back and and they just said, okay, fine. You're going to do something like that and rub our nose in it in public? Then we're going to come after you first. And the truth of it is the NCAA probably was looking for a Kansas, a big name that they could lower the boom on to try and quiet down all the, well, what about Will Wade and what about Sean Miller? where they can come back and say, well, you know, lowered the boom on them, proving that we're willing to go after the big boys. Yeah, if you do go after Kansas, that does sort of turn the whole, the NCAA was so mad at Kentucky that went after Cleveland State sort of thing on its ears. It may be the greatest sports quote that has ever come down the pike. I think I would agree with that. George, we have exhausted the mailbag. Anything else worth discussing before we end the podcast today? No. <laughs> exactly. One How's day, that? one day there will be these things again. I man, I am hoping baseball is around the corner. Oh. It sure seems like it is. You and me both. Yeah. Uh that's the one that really I, I think you really learn when things are gone what you miss the most. Yeah, I missed the NCAA tournament a lot. But the thing that I've, you know, and I missed the NHL playoffs, but the thing that I've really missed is the day-to-day of baseball. And, man, I hope we get that back. Well, I'm banking on it. (laughs) I am sure hopeful. (laughs) Yeah, otherwise it's, uh, boy, it's a really tough job for you because at least then you have something to discuss on the air that's happening. Yeah. <laughs> bring it on. Hey, bring it on indeed. George, tell people where they can listen to your show, where they can find you on Twitter and anything else that you'd like to put out there to promote the things that you are involved with. Um, I, I am on Twitter, uh, to the shock of many. George Plaster TN. Uh try to put some interesting stuff up there from time to time. Um, I'm on uh five sixty on the AM dial. 2 to 4 o'clock Monday through Friday, uh, also on 95.9 on FM. And if you can't get us any other way, go on the app. Um, The app will allow you to hear it anywhere from here to Timbuktu, wherever that is, at Nash Sports Radio. Thank you, George. Chris, thank you. Always a pleasure. He is George Plaster. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast. We should drop at least two more episodes later this week.